You're listening to the Earn That Body Podcast, episode number 249. Welcome to the Earn That Body Show with Kim Eagle. Kim is an award-winning personal trainer. She trains her clients all over the world online and is passionate about empowering people by getting fit and healthy. Welcome back to the Earn That Body Podcast. This is Kim Eagle, and it is great to have you back, whether you are a follower that listens every week or maybe even a new follower this week. The Earn That Body Podcast is here to bring you fitness, nutrition, and health information that you can put into play right away. That's my little tagline, and I mean it. I really try to bring you information each week that you can learn from, understand, and then take away from it to make your life just a little bit healthier. All right? Now, in today's episode, we are going to call it, How Can I Help You? And what I did was over the last month or so, I have asked uh, followers uh, here on the podcast and even on social media to submit questions that you might have that you need answered about yourself. Something, it could have been a personal health or nutrition question or a general health, nutrition, fitness question, but I wanted to take an opportunity in the episode to literally answer your questions that you have for you. So hopefully if it goes well, we'll do a lot more of these because I think it's always great to be able to hear what your questions are and be able to answer them sort of like, you know, just free free help, right? Why would you not want to know what to do all for free here on the Earn That Body podcast? So we are going to get to that, but I can't believe how fast time flies. Uh, We are approaching or hitting November right now. And I have to say the most exciting thing for me right now is that the holiday challenge is around the corner. Now, if you've never done the holiday challenge with the Earn That Body team before, you're missing out. It is in December every year. And the goal of the challenge is to not gain weight during some of those hard holiday weeks in December. Every year I try to include a brand new workout program that will go with it. And this year, the workout program that I am launching with the Holiday Challenge is called the Two Week Six Pack. It is, I think, my best abs videos yet. You are going to get six all new videos. They are anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes long and every single video is completely different. So you literally get six completely different ab workouts. There are some challenges within that. There is going to be education on how to handle bloating, how to flatten that tummy, things to make your six pack even more visible. So you're gonna get all of that in the holiday challenge. If you would like information on that, definitely shoot me an email, kim at earnthatbody.com, and I will send you right to the information that you need, or make sure you're on the newsletter list because registration is available now through the newsletter. There was a link in there as well. So let's get you registered. The session always sells out, and this is open to anyone around the world who does not want to gain weight this holiday season. Now, we're gonna get to all of your questions after this. And now, it's time for the Eagle's Eye on Health. These are Kim's quick tips, latest health news, or piece of weekly inspiration. In today's Eagle Eye on Health, what do we have? Well, a great article that just came out in the recent weeks, and they are talking about something that I teach my clients every single day. 
Now, the title of the article from NPR was Eating Too Much Salt is Making Americans Sick. Even a 12% reduction can save lives. Now, if you are not a client of mine, if you have never logged your food, or maybe you even have, I mean, there are some programs out there that are trying to help people lose weight, but they never educate them properly on what balanced nutrition is. And so people still don't know how much sodium they're taking in and how much is an appropriate amount. If you're one of my clients, you definitely know about sodium because it is eye-opening in my program when I show you how much you should be eating and how much you actually are eating. And so we work really hard to make sure those sodium levels get to a very healthy level. Now, in this article, they say even amid the coronavirus pandemic, Heart disease continues to be the nation's leading cause of death, and much of it is preventable through a healthier diet. Now, the Food and Drug Administration released new sodium targets Wednesday aimed at nudging food companies to cut the amount of salt in processed and prepared foods. The cuts are intended to reduce Americans' sodium intake by about 12% over the next two and a half years. Now, it's an incremental step as the agency hopes to see even deeper cuts in the years to come, but reducing sodium consumption even just that much could have an enormous impact on public health. Now, too much sodium is making people sick because it's leading to hypertension, and that causes heart disease, strokes, even kidney damage, and all of those things are preventable. Now, would in the NPR interview says, the agency is focused on pushing the food industry to change since it's unrealistic. I think it's funny that they say this, but they say it's unrealistic to expect massive behavior change in the population and people don't have control over the sodium levels in their packaged foods. Now that is very true. They don't have control over what is in the packaged food, but in my opinion, they do have control on not eating so much packaged food, right? Now, she also notes that even toddlers and kids are consuming too much sodium in the United States, and people can't do this on their own because it's in the foods they buy. That's what she says. Now, every day, about 1,800 people die from heart disease in the United States. And unlike a virus that can kill quickly, Deaths from heart disease are linked to decades of very unhealthy eating habits. Now, currently, Americans consume 3,400 milligrams of sodium per day on average, and that is vastly exceeding the U.S. government's latest dietary recommendation, which is a maximum of 2,300 milligrams of sodium. And just so you know out there, if you're 55 and over, it's 1,500 milligrams of sodium that is recommended. Now, if Americans reduce their intake to the recommended level, it could prevent an estimated 450,000 cases of cardiovascular disease and save roughly $40 billion in healthcare costs over 20 years, according to a statement by the American Heart Association. I mean, That's a lot of people, right, that could be helped. Now, overall, it's clear that cutting salt intake benefits health 
They say this is solid science. If we can remove sodium from processed foods in our food supply, consumers won't even notice, but they will reap the health benefits. And the ways in which too much sodium can harm the body are well understood. This is not something they don't understand. They understand it very well. And too much sodium, what it's actually doing is it's leading the body to retain water which is pulled into your blood vessels, and this can increase the volume of blood. And they say it's like turning up the water supply to a garden hose. The pressure in the hose increases as more water is blasted through it. And that was described by someone in the American Heart Association. Now, over time, they say that that will lead to disease. The kidneys get stressed, the blood vessels get stressed, the heart gets stressed. Sodium plays such a key role as a preservative, a taste enhancer in packaged foods. And so it's really up to some of these companies to start making an impact on the consumer by lowering the sodium in what they're putting in their foods. Now I wanna make one point. So packaged foods generally have a ton of sodium in them. So that's why I'm always working with my clients to eat more real foods and less things that come from a box or a bag. But I wanna let you know, restaurant food is just as bad. So the amount of sodium in our foods and restaurants is absolutely out of control. If you think you're going to Subway and having a healthy turkey sandwich, I highly encourage you to go to their website. Their full nutrition is listed and you should see how much sodium is in that turkey sandwich. I was even just recently talking to a friend of mine and we were talking about True Foods Kitchen, which is an incredibly delicious restaurant. Dr. Andrew Weil, who you all know I, I love and follow him and teach you guys a lot of the things that he teaches. Well, he's very involved in that restaurant. And still, in a healthy restaurant like that, their sodium levels are off the charts. And in my opinion, if they're touting themselves on being a health food restaurant, they also should have to bring sodium down. So something to think about, it's your eagle's eye on health today that sodium levels are still super high in the United States. In my opinion, we do have control. I believe in you guys. I don't think that it's just weighted on the, you know, the products out there that have to lower sodium. I think that helps, but we just need to be educated and know what we should and shouldn't buy and limit and moderate how much of that that we take in because it 100% will affect your health over time. Okay, now let's get to the podcast. It's a super fun one today. How can I help you? (laughs) That's my question of the day. And we will start off with our first question, which was from Cindy Gibson. She's asking, carb loading for endurance races, how much, how far out? She's seeing a lot of information on this lately, especially concerning simple and complex carbs. She wants to know, she just finished a marathon, she rocked it, um, and she's an endurance athlete and a runner, and she wants to know more about carb loading because if you are a runner, even if you're not, you may have heard of the whole, oh, carbo load, you gotta eat all these carbs and these pasta buffets before marathons and all these things like that. So Cindy, I would like to answer that for you. 
about two to three days before your big run, before your big race, that's about when you wanna start bumping up your carbohydrate intake. Now, say you normally eat about 40% carbs, I would start to bump up in the two to three days before your race to 50, maybe 60% carbs. Now, you don't have to overdo it. You don't have to like just eat carbohydrates straight for three days before the race. You just have to make sure that you are getting in enough carbs these days before the race because that's going to restore the glycogen storage levels in your muscles. Now, in terms of simple or complex carbs, I would focus on the complex carbs in the days leading up to the race. So be thinking about your whole grains, your fruits, your vegetables, your rice, your sweet potatoes. But the day before your race, and even the morning of, you want to tone back on the complex carbs that have a lot of fiber because you don't want to have any gastric issues on race day. Trust me, nobody wants a gastric issue on a marathon day, right? So you just want to tone back that day before on anything with super high fiber. So that might actually mean going against some of my uh, rules that you may know of. Like the day before, or I should even say the morning of your race, you might have a white bagel instead of that whole grain one or the whole wheat one that I normally would recommend, mostly because of fiber. Even white pasta would be okay the night before because again, I, I don't want you to have too much fiber. You can have some vegetables and you can have some fruit the day before, but I wouldn't overdo it. But at the same time, I wouldn't just stop all vegetables and fruit because I also want to make sure that you have a bowel movement the day of the race, the morning of the race. And sometimes I think people get a little constipated because they do this insane carb load and they have no vegetables and no fruit and no fiber and then all of a sudden they can't even have a bowel movement before the race and that is very bad as well <laughs> you do not want that i always wish the uh, bowel movement gods to be in your favor the morning of a race so i really don't think you have to gorge yourself the night before by any means i think that's sort of a a past myth that people were doing and sort of using as an excuse to just like binge eat pasta. It doesn't have to be a gorge night by any means. You just want to have a solid plate of pasta, like a solid, you know, one to two servings of your pasta, a solid meal. Um, you can eat the bread too. You can enjoy a little more than maybe you normally do. But I will say this, this is the most important thing. You have to practice this. You can't just go into race day and then try a pre-race dinner that you've never had before a long run. All of this is something that you wanna practice each and every week, just like you practice your running three to four to five days a week for this marathon. So I always tell my clients, I want you to have a pre-race dinner every night before your long runs. Um, and I mean, you know, as we get into about six to seven weeks out from that marathon, the runs are at their longest. That's when you should be testing out. How does white pasta sit in my stomach? How does this kind of bread sit in my stomach? Do I wanna have some steak with it? Cause you wanna have some protein too. Do I wanna have grilled chicken? Do I wanna have a sweet potato? How does all that feel in your stomach that next morning? Were you still able to have a bowel movement? Did it constipate you? So start working on your sort of carb dinner 
six to seven weeks out from that race. It's really important because I always say to people, um, the limiting factor for you on race day will often be nutrition. And if you mess up your nutrition and your hydration the days leading into that race or the night before the race, or you do something new that you've never done before a race, and it, it can really go wrong in a bad way. So just make sure you're practicing. You don't have to overdo it but you definitely do want to increase the carbohydrate intake, but also watch your fiber. Okay, next question from Miss Susan. Um, she says, it's hard to know what to do the day after Earn That Body Live strength sessions. So just for those of you who don't know, once a week, I have a live streaming Earn That Body strength workout. It is a full one hour body uh, strength. <laughs> what am I saying? It's a full body one hour strength session live. And we do it streaming. So if that's something that you're interested in, definitely shoot me an email, Kim at EarnThatBody.com. I am even doing a trial session right now on replay members where you can purchase the replay videos. If you can't make it live, but you really want to do these strength sessions, um, email me as as well and I can get you some information on that. Now what Susan is asking is she says it's hard to know what to do the day after that strength session since it's so intense and full body. She says I'm usually so sore that I'm not sure what to do besides maybe walk, foam roll, or stretch. I have to put two full days between doing that and a second time to do the video because you get a recorded video of the workout and she likes to do it a second time, but she needs at least two days to fully recover. What are some recommendations that she can do on those two days between? And unfortunately, Miss Susan is not a swimmer. <laughs> she says not swimming. Okay, I won't make you swim, I promise. Now. She brings up a couple really good points that I want to discuss. First of all, anytime you do any strength session, you would never do strength again the very next day. The body needs at least 48 hours of muscle recovery time. So if you are someone who loves to strength train, do not strength train the same body parts day after day. Now, when we do a full body class like that, that means the next day you can't strength train any body part because we already targeted all of them in that one hour. So she's never going to do a strength training session the next day. Not to mention she's she works out hard. Susan lifts heavy. She's super sore the next day. And if you're sore the next day or the day after that, you're still not ready to lift weights. So I recommend she does some kind of active recovery the day after she does Earn That Body Live. And that could be an easy 30 minute walk and then maybe adding on some mobility work. So in one of my programs in the willpower program, we have mobility videos. And so a 30 minute walk to get things moving sort of helps release some of that, um, that sort of lactic feeling in your muscles. And then the mobility work is a great way to still be active, but taking it easy and that will also help with some of the soreness. You could also do a really easy cycle ride if you have access to a Peloton or an indoor bike trainer, but I'm talking with very little resistance. And so a lot of my Peloton peeps, they love Peloton and they say, okay, well, I'm gonna do a low impact ride then on that day. I'm just gonna let you know the low impact rides on Peloton, they simply mean that you're not going to come out of the saddle. 
they still will have you push pretty high power. So low impact does not mean low resistance, okay? It does not mean active recovery, and it does not mean that it's an easy class or a beginner class. So don't, don't think that those are the same thing. If you have a Peloton and you need to go easy the next day, just keep your resistance super, super light so you're just sort of flushing out the legs. Now, the following day after that, or I guess you could say the second day after ETB Live, then at that point, I would probably do more of a cardio workout. Probably a cycle ride would be a really good one to do with a little more intensity. And then by that third day after, you'll be ready to do a strength session again. So that would be my recommendation. Now, she also says, if my post-workout protein of choice is an Eagle Shake, and for those of you who don't know what an Eagle Shake is, I have a, a recipe for the Eagle Real Food Protein Shake because I refuse to eat any supplements since they are not regulated by the FDA. And I've done podcasts on this on why I don't use protein powders. So I have an Eagle Shake Real Food Recipe Book. If you're interested in that information, you can go to earnthatbody.com forward slash protein shake and you can for free have my recipe book. Um, but she wants to know if my post-workout protein of choice is the Eagle Shake, and that contains a full cup of Greek yogurt. She also loves to have a yogurt bowl later in the day with chopped apple and peanut butter, and she feels that that's too much Greek yogurt in one day. What is a good protein swap, she asks, for either post-workout or afternoon snack? Now, one thing you can do, Susan, is you could half the amount of yogurt that you're using. So you could use half of the yogurt in the shake in the morning, and then you could do half the cup of yogurt in your yogurt bowl later so that it's not so much yogurt all at once, but you sort of split it up. Or you could do a total protein swap altogether, and that could be some kind of post-workout eggs. Um, you could do tuna fish on crackers. There are certain protein bars out there that are very high that I'm not a huge protein bar fan, but like the Cliff Builder Bar has 20 grams of protein that has nothing bad in it. I'm also a big fan of the Perfect um, perfect Bars. Is that what they're called? Perfect? Uh, I can't exactly remember what they're they're in the uh, refrigerated section I think they're called the perfect bars but um those all have protein in them as well so you know I would probably half the amount of yogurt you use in the morning and in the afternoon and see if that works for you or like I said you can add some of those other protein swaps then she has a question about weigh-ins this is a good question definitely she has a question about weigh-ins and bowel movements, or poop, as we sometimes call it. Uh, this is what she says. On Mondays and Fridays, you require weigh-ins to help us stay on track. And the instructions are to weigh first thing in the morning after a trip to the bathroom. My question is probably for a lot of people, what if you don't have a bowel movement until later in the day, or after breakfast, or after your workout? How do you create your most epic bell movement of the day to happen first thing in the morning before your weigh-ins as opposed to later in the day? Well, you can only do your best, right? It's not going to happen for everybody before that weigh-in, and it's not going to happen every Monday and Friday all the time for people as well. It is great if you have a morning bowel movement each day. It sort of sets the tone for the day, right? Now, I think it has a lot to do with everybody's schedule. 
I do think if you're a very scheduled person, your BMs, bowel movements, are likely to happen at the same time each day. Now, often people who don't have bowel movements in the morning, often, guess what? It's because they are crazy busy in the morning and they're trying to get out the door and they're not leaving enough time to sit one on the toilet like they're literally not saving enough time in the day to just sit on the toilet and relax for a little bit to have the bowel movement um maybe you need a little time in the morning to sit relax with hot water hot tea or your cup of coffee some people are like leaving themselves no time in the morning they roll out of bed they put that coffee in the to-go cup and they're out the door well you're never gonna have a bowel movement in that situation, but that's like half of America, right? And I had a professor in graduate school, he was from China, um, and he always used to say that only in America are people getting so constipated, and it's because they never take enough time in the morning to relax and have a bowel movement. They're always in a rush and flying out the door. Now, if you don't have a bowel movement in the morning before a weigh-in, All you can do is take note of it, right? Now, if that's your normal and you never have a bowel movement before your weigh-in, then that's probably fine because we're always getting the same weigh-in without a bowel movement. So that's probably fine. If once in a while you don't have one before your weigh-in or it's sort of sporadic, the most important thing you can do is just note it. If you haven't had a bowel movement in three days and you weigh in, I can promise you your weight's gonna be up on the scale and you should notify me that you haven't had a bowel movement in three days because then we'll know exactly why your weight did not come down. So, you know, note it, try to be on a schedule. That definitely helps um, giving yourself time to relax. But again, we can't force the time that we have that bowel movement. But if you're a super scheduled person, like I'm super scheduled. (laughs) So my bowel movements, they knock on wood, knock on wood. They happen every single morning before I work out. Um, But I go to bed at the same time every night. I get up at the same time every day. I sit with some coffee. I relax in the morning. I don't rush around. All right. Now I have a question from Kim Herndon. She asks, putting on muscle, muscle mass decreases with menopause, right? So what she asks is, how or what do I need to do and be aware of to maintain fitness during menopause? So she wants to maintain fitness. She's going through menopause or she's asking when she goes through menopause, how do you maintain fitness? And you do that by putting on muscle during menopause. So as I just said, muscle mass decreases with menopause and that's due to the natural decline of estrogen in our bodies. This is a normal event that happens. So I really like to reiterate this. This is another thing I learned in graduate school. I went to graduate school to study Eastern medicine. And one of the things they always talked about in there was the fact that in America, we see menopause as an illness. We see it as something wrong, and doctors here are trying to fix it. They wanna give you hormones so you don't go through it, so you don't feel it, so you don't have the symptom. Menopause is a natural part of aging. It is supposed to happen. And it is my true belief that if you are a super healthy person when you go through menopause, you will likely have very few negative symptoms. The more unhealthy 
unfit and potentially overweight you are when you go through menopause, I do believe that is when you'll have more symptoms, more negative symptoms. So this is something that I can only tell you that I have come up with in talking to many, many people who've been through menopause, but this is not research. (laughs) So that's just me telling you that the people that I know who were their most fit when they went through menopause, really, it it just happened. Yes, they had some hot flashes. That's a normal part as well, but it was nothing terrible. And then people who were super unfit or overweight or even obese struggle terribly with menopause. So again, menopause, part of that is this natural decline in estrogen. And that means that you are going to lose muscle mass. That's part of what happens. Again, natural. But what that means, Kim, is that we need to strength train a little bit more, potentially a little bit harder as we go through menopause to stay fit and to keep the muscle mass on so we don't continue to lose all of that muscle mass. So as we age, the best way to stay fit during menopause is honestly to make sure you're strength training at least two to three times a week and that you're lifting enough weight that you're, you know, that you're really pushing yourself. Also, in order to put on muscle, you have to be eating enough protein. And you can't, like, no protein means you can't put on muscle. Your body needs a certain amount of protein to even put on muscle. Your body needs a certain amount of calories to even put on muscle. So there is this really fine line because people say they go through menopause and then they gain all this weight. But there's also the fact that you still have to eat enough to put on muscle. And you need to make sure that you up your protein a little more than your carbohydrates once you've gone through menopause. So the very most important thing, Kim, is putting on muscle, maintaining that strong strength training within your regimen, and that will definitely help you. Um, Somebody on Instagram, I don't have their name because it was just their username, asked, snacks with yogurt, how many fruits? Um, what generally, if you're going to have a yogurt bowl of some sort, I just say one serving of fruit in it is probably great. You really only want to have two to three servings of fruit in a day because there's so much sugar in fruit. So I would say one serving of fruit, like often I'll have, um, half a cup of yogurt, chopped up apple, and that's going to be it for my fruit. So one to two, I would say is a max on that. Okay, then I have a question from Lee Duval. She asks, why is weight loss harder as we age? Well, it kind of has to do with the whole menopause thing, right? Um, weight loss is harder as we age, and that is just sort of a fact. As we get older, our bodies don't respond the same way to weight loss efforts. And in fact, as we age, we tend to gain weight sometimes, right? To the tune of maybe one to two pounds per year. And that's according to actual an actual study um, by the Agency for Healthcare Research Quality. And that may not seem like much, but over time, one to two pounds a year can definitely lead to significant weight gain. Now, obesity incidence starts increasing in one's 20s and it peaks at 40 to 59 and then decreases slightly, they say, after age 60. Now, not everyone's going to become overweight as they age because body 
Uh, body weight is highly influenced, you know, by so many different factors, even genetic makeup, how physical you are. Are you super fit? Are you super active? And of course, your food choices. And we sometimes say genetics loads the gun <laughs> and the lifestyle pulls the trigger. That's that's what one doctor says, Dr. Prim- Primack. Um, and I thought that was fun, kind of a funny quote. We sometimes say genetics slows the gun and lifestyle pulls the trigger when it comes to losing weight or gaining weight. Now, weight gain and age, like what is really going on? Well, as you're aging, as I just said with menopause, you're, for one, losing muscle. That's just for men and for women. There is a unfortunate amount of muscle loss that happens as we age. So it's it doesn't have to happen, meaning if you keep up your strength training and you're religious about it and you're really getting it in, you're not going to lose all your muscle mass, but you'll probably lose some. Like you're not going to be as ripped or as strong or have as much muscle tone as maybe you had in your 20s. Now, unfortunately, having a lot of muscle, it increases our metabolism right? So that's one of those things that like one leads to another. So why do we gain weight as we age? Well, we lose muscle. And when we lose muscle, our metabolism is unfortunately going to slow down. Now, also, you're just undergoing normal hormonal changes as you age. And that goes for men and women, right? Undergoing those changes in hormone levels is just part of aging. And for women, menopause, which can occur for some people at age 45, some people 55, that's when you're going to get that drop in estrogen. And unfortunately, when that happens, we tend to get extra weight around our belly. So that shift in fat storage may make weight gain more noticeable, unfortunately, and increase the risk of high blood pressure, heart disease, high cholesterol, even type 2 diabetes. So it's something you do want to keep an eye on, ladies. Like going into menopause because weight gain can happen, you just want to be really cautious about it. Like if you see you're gaining weight, it doesn't mean like you throw in the towel, well, this is menopause, I'm just going to keep gaining weight. I have helped many women in menopause lose weight because they were not eating the way they needed to be eating, right? They were sort of not, <laughs> I don't even know how to say it. Like they say they were eating healthy, but there were so many things that we were able to change to still make weight loss happen. So don't throw in the towel just because you're getting older and think, oh, I'm going to gain weight anyway, so I may as well eat what I want. It almost means more like as I get older, I have to be even more careful with some of the things that I eat so that I don't gain too much weight. Now, men, on the other hand, they get that drop in testosterone as they age. And that generally can happen anywhere from age 40 um, at a rate about 1% to 2% per year, and that's according to Harvard Health. And testosterone is responsible for regulating fat distribution and muscle strength and muscle mass. So they also are losing that muscle uh, muscle tone, muscle mass, and it's going to affect their metabolism as well. So losing muscle, slower metabolism, changes in hormones. But here's a real reality that I think people overlook when you get older. When you get older, you tend to get more sedentary. 
It is a fact. You're not running around like you did as a little toddler. You're not running around and going crazy like a teenager. And even in your 20s, you're probably moving and working and busy and doing all this stuff. But as we get into our 40s and into our 50s and our career is in full swing, we tend to sit more. We tend to not move as much. We tend to struggle to find time to get super active, to get in those workouts. And again, that's why I have helped so many people in menopause. I have because I get them to work out more. And in some ways you have to work out just a little bit more because all these other things are slowing down. So again, Yes, when you age, it's harder to lose weight, but yes, there are still a lot of things that you can do. So making those proper lifestyle changes can still help you so that you don't gain weight as you get older. Um, And if anything, you can still lose weight as well. But I do say this, I've said it a lot lately because Because I see it as I age, I'm 49 years old right now, I got the big 50 next year. Um, I see it with a lot of my friends my age right now. You don't wanna keep gaining weight right now in your 40s. Because guess what? It's only gonna be harder to take it off in your 50s. And it's only gonna be harder to take it off in your 60s, right? So always thinking, like if you're in your 30s right now, keep staying fit and healthy. If you're in your 40s right now, keep staying fit and healthy. If you're in your 50s right now, keep it up because the moment you let it all go, it is going to be harder to take it off, right, Lee? That's why Lee is obviously asking. She says, why is this so much harder? You know, when we were 20, if we gained five pounds, we could take it off in a day. Well, that's just not the way it works. So I hope that answers your question on that one. I have a question um, all the way from Japan. My friend Austin from Japan, she wanted to know, how do you measure pasta, oatmeal, rice? Do you measure it when it's dry or do you measure it when it's cooked? This tends to be a question I get all the time with my clients because they do food logging and they, they think, okay, well, it says that one serving of oatmeal is half a cup. So then is that half a cup dry or is that half a cup once it's already cooked? I'm gonna make it very easy for you to remember this, okay? The amount a serving says on the box is always when it is dry. So however it comes in the box, which is dry, right? That's how you measure it. So my half a serving of oatmeal, I measure half a cup, or I should say half a cup, not half a serving. I measure half a cup of oatmeal in its dried state, and then I cook it. Now the amount that it expands into is gonna be more than half a cup, right? That's not what you're gonna be measuring. You always measure all of those when they're in a dry state. And then Austin also asks, what do you eat to get your protein in besides egg whites and Greek yogurt and tuna packets? So she's getting tired of the same old protein, and this is a pretty common question a lot of people have. Um, it is hard to get pure protein in because there usually is some fat with our protein. And so if you're trying to balance your macros and your fat is always high, then you're probably looking for low fat to no fat options. And so non-fat Greek yogurt is the best way to obviously get in a lot of protein and no fat. Egg whites as well, 
good protein, no fat. Tuna also, a lot of protein, but you cannot live on those three things alone. <laughs> so some other protein sources, cottage cheese is a great one. You can get a non-fat cottage cheese. The thing you have to be cautious of with cottage cheese is how much sodium is in it. For whatever reason, cottage cheese is loaded in sodium. So just check your brands because some will have more or less than others. Now, yes, you can go with a non-fat dairy-like cottage cheese or Greek yogurt if and only if you're getting in plenty of healthy fats elsewhere. So you've probably heard and read like you're supposed to have whole fat dairy these days. You shouldn't have non-fat. I think what they're trying to say is that we need fat in our body and we need healthy fat in our diet. Now, I get so much great healthy fat from olive oil, the avocado I eat every day, I eat peanut butter. I get so much healthy fat in that then I limit the healthy fat in my dairy because you don't want to have too much fat in your day. That's not healthy as well. So a non-fat Greek yogurt is not unhealthy. A non-fat cottage cheese is not unhealthy. It's only unhealthy if you're not getting the healthy fat from those other things. So a non-fat cottage cheese is a great way to get your protein up. Obviously, sliced turkey um, is also a great way. You also just have to be careful of the sodium because that is a processed meat. There are some protein bars. The Perfect Bar, I was trying to say that name before. The Perfect Bar, um, Cliff Builder Bars, they have a lot of protein. I'm not a big protein bars person. I just would rather eat real food, but sometimes you're on the run and you gotta get protein and you gotta grab it. So a protein bar is an option. Edamame is a great protein source. And um, a lot of my vegans and vegetarians, they get, I always recommend it, there is an edamame pasta that you can get that is so high in protein. So that's a super good one as well. So. Another thing you might wanna think about is a lot of people when they are trying to balance macros and they're like, oh, I need more protein, my protein's low. Sometimes you need to reverse how you look at your macros. So maybe your protein's not low, maybe your carbs or your fat are too high. And if you were able to drop some of your carbohydrate intake, that will actually change your protein percentage. So that's when we look at macros in terms of percents. So don't always think about just adding protein, but if you see one of your macro percents like fat or carbohydrate percents are super high, see if you can drop some of those items in your diet food log that day because that will then impact your protein percent. So that's another way to think about it. And that is everything. How can I help you? Well, I hope that I just did. <laughs> I hope I was able to answer a lot of questions. And I think even if it wasn't your question, I bet a lot of those questions you have had before. And if you would like to be part of How Can I Help You the next time, go ahead and shoot me an email, kim at earnthatbody.com, and let me know, how can I help you? Let me know your question, and I would love to include it in another episode just like this next time. Now that's it for today. I hope you're all doing great. I hope you got the newsletter. The newsletter just came out for Earn That Body. Every month I send out the newsletter. If you're not on that list, go to earnthatbody.com forward slash newsletter to get great information, health tips, fitness tips, free recipe every month. Um, 
I give you a lot of um, discounts, registration, all kinds of stuff. So make sure you're on the newsletter list. And if nothing else, just get ready for a great holiday season and the holiday challenge. Everybody, Earn That Body podcast, always here to bring you fitness, nutrition, and health information you can put into play right away. For more information about Kim Eagle's online programs, go to earnthatbody.com or check out Earn That Body on all forms of social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube.